This is Season 2, Episode 12 of Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast all about upping your game. Doesn't matter if you're a game master or player, you'll find advice, ideas, and some strong opinions. Tonight's episode, The Essential GM and Player Toolkit, or How Many Dice is Enough. Welcome to Mastering the RPG. Like I said, it's an RPG podcast, and we're about ideas, advice, cool stuff, and all sorts of cool stuff like that. I'm Carl with my co-host Eric and James, and you can find information about the show at MasteringTheRPG.com. You can send us email or feedback or questions at GameMaster at MasteringTheRPG.com. So, it's uh, good to have everybody back on the mics again. Hi, hi there, guys. Uh, what you been up to? Hi, How you Carl. been doing? Busy, busy, busy. We've uh, we've just finished Oz Comic Con, which is the Australian version of Comic Con here in Melbourne, in Australia. Yeah. Um, so yeah, spent a couple of great days killing lots of players in Call of Cthulhu one shots, which was hilarious. <laughs> uh, it's like you have an hour, you're in an underground temple, and here's a stick of dynamite. Let's see how you can blow each other up in crazy way so having a lot of fun uh very very busy at the moment we've got two more weeks in in our school term so doing lots of school games before vacation time um yeah it's uh, all things rpg and all things go 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 it's really good and, and so you guys play one hour sessions or is this just a demo yeah it's like a little demo that i that we run um i i work work you know, I, I run some games on behalf of Chaosium, which is the publisher that does Call of Cthulhu, and they do little one-hour introductory sessions into Call of Cthulhu, which is a really great way to kind of at conventions and you kind of sit down, have a bit of a try, um, and my mortality rate is significant. It's quite impressive. <laughs> I think about 80% don't make it through the adventure. We all stand up and give them a, a standing ovation when they when they die in the most macabre way, and uh, it's a, it's good fun to watch. And, and we do get a bit of a crowd around in these games when when people come to watch it because it's so ridiculously over the top uh, horror. It's uh, it's it's really good fun. That sounds awesome. Nice. So, Eric, what you been up to? Any anything exciting lately? Uh, I mean, we, it's funny that you talked about how many dice because I just got a lot of dice. My, my local Barnes and Nobles was closing, so I just went in there and just like bought things I didn't need, like including all these different like cool dice sets with different prints. Um, I got a new dice bag. I got some other dice from a Savage Worlds uh, box set. So yeah, I, I have like way too many dice right now. <laughs> uh, I'm not <laughs> sure I, I understand use, what you're so. saying. Uh, it's, uh, just, I hear the in, words, in but it doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> if robbers come, you know, during Christmas time, I can just lay my house th- with dice and it will... Just uh, with the D4s, you, you'll be fine. Yeah, just the D4s, which are the most <laughs> dangerous things to ever be invented, like everybody knows. Um, That's pretty funny. And you, Carl, how, how's things going in Carl world? Oh, we're going, going all right, I think... Uh, we we missed a couple of game sessions, uh, so we haven't had a chance to keep the momentum going on the campaign. Um, I'm working on a couple of side things. I got my song out. That happened, um, and uh, yeah, just just trying to keep the adventure going for the players and uh, stay on top of that. And then, of course, with all this work with you guys, that takes a lot of time. So, um, thank God it's a labor of love. <laughs> <laughs> so excellent it's it's again it's great to have you guys again um so why don't we get right into it and i hear we've got a cool stuff found 
We have cool stuff found. Do you copy? Cool stuff found. Over. All right, cool stuff found. Hey, James, you got something you ran into you wanted to talk about. Yeah, it was, um, I found another book, because uh, let's face it, my, my bookshelf's not full of enough how to RPG books. Um, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about making creative and interesting combats, um, I noticed in my research for that session, um, one of my favorite RPG authors, Keith Aman, who does The Monsters Know What They're Doing and More Monsters Know What They're Doing, had released a new book called How to Defend Your Lair. Um, and I thought I'd buy it and have it delivered. So it arrived about a week ago. Uh, How to Defend Your Lair, which is a good, it's, it's a chunky piece of, uh, piece of literature. It uh, comes in at about 330-odd pages. And it's a really good in-depth discussion on how to create a monster lair um, and all sorts of different types of monsters. So it could be a dragon lair, it could be a drow cavern, it could be a bandit's lair, and the kind of levels of defense that these places should have. Um, and that could be uh, some of the more espionage-like defenses. So you could have perimeter spies that, that are working through some information. It could be different traps. It could be different breaches. It could be, um, and, and it works through how to design one of these places from a very different perspective, which I thought was really, really cool. It, it goes through a process where you're asked to rate what you're protecting and what's important to be protected and then how you would protect these things. So I, I really love it. It's a really good way to think about um, a kind of a map design in a lot of ways because let's face it most of the time where our adventurers go in they're, they're, they're in a layer of some description it features some outstanding layers examples of them so they do 16 different ones from from very different kind of uh aboleth what, what, what was i reading today the esoteric society meeting house and an underwater layer and cabins and things like that Talks through some interesting bits about interrogating prisoners and um, and overall another great book by Keith Aman. So um, I'm a big rap for his stuff. I think it, it, it provides some really thought-provoking material. It is, again, set a little bit in terms of 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons in that they have some stat blocks in the back. But the best thing I love about his work is they are a bit system neutral. This one particularly would apply to any of the games that you play um, in terms of the theory behind how you would set up a lair. So uh, check it out, How to Defend Your Lair. Very cool. I, re I really enjoy it. So the uh, so if you def design your lairs around this book, does that mean that the, the challenge rating would be actually a little higher because you've done a good smart design in most DMs? We we're not we don't do as smart a design of the layers as we possibly could. Would you would you say that's yeah, true? I think, or I, I think that's very true. And and this goes for a lot of what Keith does. In the monsters know what they're doing. It's about taking uh, taking monsters and really upping the ante in terms of the cleverness of of, of your conflicts. Um, absolutely. And and in some ways you would almost want to prepare your players to do a little bit more reconnoitering, you know, a little bit more recon reconnaissance to try and figure out how you would breach some of these places because it does get a little bit involved. Um, no question. For veteran players, I think they'd love this kind of challenge. I think it would be a really good way to, to kind of up the ante a little bit and spice it up. But, yeah, that's a fair point. Um, perhaps uh, use with caution for, for some of your <laughs> beginner groups. <clears throat> Got to be careful. The ones who just go in face first. Yeah. Okay. Yep. 
Or yeah. just give yeah. just give <laughs> the magic items that will that will balance it out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, cool. That is that is pretty cool. Um, uh, it's one that I may have to. I have to figure out how to get a chance to read it myself, maybe pick up a copy. Um, very cool. So let's go on to the uh, main topic. All right, welcome to the main topic. We're going to talk about the essential GM and player toolkit. Um, and Eric is going to lead us through tonight, um, take the reins, so to speak. So go ahead, Eric. Why don't you uh, drive us <laughs> drive us through this this minefield or oh, not a minefield this 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 beautiful it, it was, wheat field yeah, I, ready to be I, harvested. It's almost like Santa's workshop, right? Where you're just like <laughs> bumping into presents left and right. I, that's how I think of it. Oh yeah, um, beautiful. Yeah, because because what are we talk right? We're talking about here like what are the resources and the products that you guys think are essential for all kind of different types of the plays as far as game mastering and playing, right? I think that's what we're focusing on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things that you can hopefully take away and um, you know use in your own game because you heard about something cool that that we've been using or um, yeah. you know some of that stuff. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so let's so let's talk about kind of the essential items just in general, whether it's online or in person. Um, so I think to start out, let's talk about character creation, and then this is obviously this is for players or for, for GMs to recommend people carl do you have any um character creation that you uh, go to a lot yeah and I, I earlier we were talking and you said this is so specific to a system and so my yeah. system of choice is savage worlds and so the the quintessential out there is savage.us which is savage.us and that is um an actual licensee from pinnacle entertainment so they have access to all the books and all the content oh, okay. in the books so that you can create your characters. And it creates a stat block that um, some importers for different VTTs support. Um, like I believe Foundry VTT has a stat block importer um, that sometimes works. I don't know. I haven't had a ton yeah. of luck with it. but um, So, yeah, that's, that's like 99% of what I use just because of the system that I play all the time. James, do you have one that you prefer? Uh, there's a couple that I use. My two systems, of course, are Call of Cthulhu, the Chaosium, and uh, Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition. So, yeah. Call of Cthulhu run an online character creator called the Dolls House, D H O L E House, uh, which is uh, it, a doll is a massive worm that will destroy the world. Um, uh, and that's a fantastic resource in that it's been able to bring together not only the official content, but also it has a lot of um, community-created content in there, which is really amazing. So in terms of different professions and bits and pieces. So uh, check that one out. That's really, really good. Of course, the big behemoth that will destroy us all in actuality is probably D&D Beyond, which I don't think we can escape. Um, most of my younger players love D&D Beyond. They'll create infinite amounts of characters on there. Yeah. <laughs> of course, the trick with that is it costs you a lot of money as a, as a GM um, in that you have to purchase all the content a second time if you love your hard copy books. And so D&D uh, &D Beyond is, is probably the one that most people will be familiar with. And uh, I must admit, uh, my kids absolutely can't get away with it, like away from it. Um, 
whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is a whole episode on its own. I think. Yeah, I think <laughs> but we'll see what it turns into because I don't think it's going to. It's not going to say the same as it is. Um, I kind of have a different take on this completely. Um, you know, not only do I, I mainly play Savage Worlds, and I used to play a lot of 5e, and now I play a lot of Pathfinder 2e, but I'm also, like, I, I've been in groups where I just try tons of different systems. I like one-shotting, I like trying, you know, pretty much anything I'll pretty much play at least once. So for me, it's, like, a definitely different experience. A lot of the games, those games don't have dedicated character creators. Um, and when we're talking about, like, you know, when you're, when you're totally new to the game, they can be helpful. I don't like them. I don't think they're good four players and i generally say you know don't recommend them especially when I, I i don't know how many people i've taught savage worlds and pathfinder 2e at this point like i seriously can't i've taught so many people because i'm just usually i'm i like it you know i like teaching and i like creating characters so i'm very open to that um but generally i think the best way is if there's a vtt that has those resources or has some of those resources i think it's infinitely better to make it yourself because a lot of the character creators even though they might have stuff they they they, they don't quite get all the order of operations down usually they don't quite you know always have all the right options or do all the right math necessarily and i think that you when you're learning a new game i think that's the character creators are just kind of a crutch and that you don't learn the game uh, often. I, this is just my opinion on it, right? Um, so I think it's, you know, with, with like Foundry and Foundry has all of Pathfinder 2E. So when I'm teaching people, I'm like, don't, there's a lot of these online ones, but I'm always like, they often don't say all of the different specifics, you know, like, oh, this is only available if you have strength 16 or this is only available if you're this thing or not that, that thing. Um, I just think you learn the game so much better when you actually go through it. And like I said, some games like Pathfinder have a full resource online for free, and they have like Nethys, which is another full online resource that you can kind of use from. Uh, but yeah, that's just my take on it, is, is virtual tabletops. Like I, when I want to create a lot of characters, especially in D&D, like you brought up, James, I literally had 5e games, even when I just mostly played, I would, I would be a GM. I, I had my own 5e games that I just had as, as characters that I liked creating, and like maybe that I would want to play one day. Um, I had that for Savage Worlds, 5e, and Pathfinder. I just have, like, you know, games of just characters that I've made. Um, and I find that it's just it's a lot more fun and easy, and you don't have to pay, usually, right? Or that, not that much compared to D&D Beyond. So that's my take on it, at least. Cool. Interesting. I, it's an interesting take. I, I, I agree and disagree a little bit, but I, I do see yeah. a point. The, the game literacy in terms of what makes up the different bonuses, why things work together... That some of the choices that you make probably get streamlined a little bit too much, and um, and people don't actually realise the options that they're skimming over. Um, I will say, in, uh, the by and large, the vast majority of my players are young, quite young, yeah. and yeah. and and it, it just helps streamline that process in a lot For of ways. Sure. It just makes yeah. it quick and easy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why when I like like say the VTTs that have all the stuff, whether it's you know you have. Uh, free pathfinder on uh, foundry or you have you know <clears throat> D 5e tools on roll 20 or whatever uh <laughs> they have all the edges they have all the feeds they have all the That's stuff true. so it makes it easy just to drag and drop but yeah um okay let's move on to another essential um is note taking now i think this is interesting and we'll bring it up so carl let's start with you um what, what is your take on note taking now this is it is this would you say you would do this in real life or is this for you virtually um, for, for both. Um, I don't take, I don't, when I'm playing live, I don't spend a lot of yeah. time taking notes, you know, so I don't have yeah. a book and I'm filling it out. And when a time comes to actually capture those notes, whether it's online or whether it's 
in a face-to-face game, I do pull up an electronic tool. And because it's so much easier to organize and um, set things up. And, you know, and my tool of choice is OneNote. So I'm a OneNote person, you know, everybody's got their favorite. Um, Yeah. And and I actually did an episode on Tabletop Tango, episode 26, that has my template that I use for my, my OneNote. But I like that the digital co- copy, it's so much easier to move things around. Like you can have just a player can just say, Hey, who's this person? And you'll say, well, the shopkeeper's named Joe. And you have some notes under the player notes section. And then at the end of the game, you can take that person, create a tab for an NPC, drag them over, yeah. start filling it in. And, and then now you've got a named NPC that you didn't have before. And you're, tracking them carefully um, and then maybe you can have some notes as to how they'll fit into the adventure but it's so much easier to do uh, I know some people like index cards and stuff like that but I'm totally give me my laptop I don't use my laptop at games generally but let me pull it out after the fact and and just type up some notes in in OneNote yeah now we don't I saw in the notes here we don't have a thing for campaign organization but I was going to say for me like uh, I'm, I like Evernote, but it's pretty much the same thing, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so sure. I'm an Evernote yeah. person, but I use, that's what I use for campaign organization. I don't know if we talk about that here with note taking, but I think it's part and parcel, right? Yeah, what like when I do that's my campaigns, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, that's what yeah talking about. I literally, yeah. uh, you know, when I'm writing out the campaigns, I might have like because you can do like uh, hyperlinks or like keywords right. that can link to other things, yep. and you have like here's here's one adventure that I have in one of my little notes, and that goes under yeah. So for me, Evernote or it's pretty much essential. Um, and I'm not the best organizational person. I, uh, I do have ADHD, uh, so it is hard for me to often take notes. Uh, but as far as campaign organization, I prefer Evernote. As a player for taking notes, I generally find that I usually, when I, I make my backgrounds, uh, my character backgrounds on Google, Document, Google Docs, I just use Google Docs for most things. I just find it easy and I can reference it from anywhere. I don't have to have it locally on a computer, right? I can have it on my phone or whatever. Um, I'll have a section under my character background of notes, um, of pretty much like, you know, I have like my people because I just find that it's, it's not as intense as saying using Evernote. I can just it's easier and I can use it anywhere and it's with my character stuff. So that's what I use for notes. Well, what about you, James? Uh, as a player, I, yeah. I am terrible at keeping notes, but I try yeah. my best and I actually get myself little books. I actually make I, I get what I find is a beautifully bound book that kind of fits <laughs> the theme of my character. Oh, wow. Um, so, and then I just scribble endless crap in it. Uh, so, and I'm terrible at keeping them. So I actually like the idea when I play is having these kind of tactile, like I, I use a set of dice that's the theme of my character and I get a book that's the theme of my character. Oh, and, man. That and I have nerdy. my little set and, and just kind of <laughs> there it is. Um, as a storyteller, though, as a GM, of course, I'm, I'm running a lot of campaigns at the same time. Uh, which makes it very, very tricky to kind of keep everything ordered. I use, and look, OneNote, Evernote, I use Notion, which is a similar online tool. Um, and I am a sucker, and you guys have heard me talk about this guy forever. I talk about Sly Flourish, Mike yeah. Shea. And uh, so I've, I end up using his templates uh, for campaign note-taking, um, and I find that's the easiest because I'm running, you know, I run... 17 campaigns concurrently so uh just kind of keeping everything ordered is really important so i i like notion and sly flourishes campaign notes if you're into the lazy dm's way of game prep which i am interesting 
All right. Uh, Let's move on to random tables. What kind of random tables uh, or generators of different sorts you use, James? Random. I'm a. I love random tables. Random (laughs) tables are great. They. They. Um. That it stops you from the brain freeze when you just go. Ah, what's the tavern keeper's names? Uh, I don't know. And so I make up a lot of random tables and have them ready for use, both digitally and and when we play in person. So. I actually spend quite a bit of time making up my own random name generators and my own tables. I particularly like, um, I have my kind of 1920s horror random tables and I have my fantasy NPC random tables where I kind of create a hundred of each type of person. And the other one that I, I use a lot is my random table of acting mannerisms. So uh, if you're ever stuck for quickly role-playing an NPC, I roll on this table and it might be has stutter or speaks loudly or has a ridiculous French accent. And it just gives me something just to quickly latch onto just so that uh, I don't have to stop and think and go, um, uh, um, I just immediately launch into that NPC and it just helps me get things on the fly. So um, uh, NPC acting mannerisms table. Is, uh, is probably my, my greatest go-to when it comes to random stuff. But I have heaps of things, random treasure generators, random monsters, random encounters, all, all sorts. I'm, I'm a big so do you, do you, do you like encounters. So you like using random treasure generators? Yep, very much, yep. As to, to a point, what I'll do, what I end up doing is I'll, rule, I'll roll a random treasure generator prior to the session and I'll generally um, roll it two or three times and then go, that one fits the best and just pick yeah. that out. So otherwise it becomes a little a little too unwieldy and not as connected to the theme or to the plot of what I'm trying to do. But from, in my mind, it, it, it throws some curveballs at the game. So it's not all entirely orchestrated by what I do. I like I like yeah. different things kind of, kind of coming to me. I'm not a big fan in the old random dungeon generator where it's kind of like, you know, here's a six by three room, roll the table, then it's a T intersection, then roll the table. I'm, I'm not a big fan of those, but um, treasure tables, random encounter tables, yeah, love them. And I have a lot of them. Nice. Carl, what about you? I'm like com- almost the opposite. I very use very, very few random tables. Um, I did have a book that had like 100 random tables for different stuff, and I used that to, um, there was like... Um, it was kind of the acting mannerisms. It was a personality table that I used for a while. Yep. Um, and then I, I found that I was randomly getting personalities that didn't seem to fit the character that I was trying to portray. And so I went back to just, well, okay, let me just define what it is. The one thing I do use, though, is is for names. Um, names are hard to come up with. And so I do use yeah. – there's a number online, one's like fantasy name generators – Dot com. That, one has, has, that, that has, one has everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it does. It has, it has like the most specific, crazy, like, yeah. uh, uh, you know, like uh, uh, Renaissance Guild or like, uh, you know, Corporation, whatever. It has yeah, everything. Yeah. So, and, and, yes, and, I, I need a Norwegian sailing captain. Yeah. Okay, here's the Norwegian <laughs> yeah, sailing and, captain. Yeah, and I take, those, I take those generators and I'll generate like 50 names that I then put in my OneNote. Yeah, and whenever a time comes up to grab a name, then I just grab that name, put a note next to it. Um, okay, it's like so. You do it preemptively. You're saying, yeah, I get them all. I get them because, like, for example, when we played um, our our uh, our game in. Uh, uh, 
the Chicago Plex, the uh, that one, it's a very cosmopolitan. Yeah. So I made sure that I had some different background names so that when you ran into somebody, it wasn't just Joe Blow or John Smith or whatever. It could be very interesting. Yeah. It could be Indian. It could be Chinese. You, it just a variety of names that can pick up. And then I take, and as you guys pick those names and these become characters, I put that little note next to them, the name, and then later it gets dragged over and that name disappears from the list. So I, I always ahead of time do I take, and for for like random encounters or things like that, I don't, I, I don't do a lot of random encounters. I guess maybe that's also a little bit of Savage Worldies, you know, throwing random things at players can be bad because of exploding dice, but I don't do a lot of random encounters or, um, or things like that. And I, I don't know, maybe I should do more, but I just don't. I, I just, if it's not defined by me out of my brain and written down, then it's just not, it, it just isn't. Then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For me, I mean, of course I've used that. Um, the, the other thing that I'll do as far as names go is I'll often like, if I have a society that, you know, has kind of a real world, um, equivalent or, uh, real world world real world influence then i'll go to like um not name genders but like baby name things you know yeah. so i'll go like yeah. the most like the best like welsh yeah, yeah, names yeah, yeah. and then i'll be like oh yeah. then i can like then just i'll pick a bunch of those or whatever or like i'll find like a west african thing or you know swedish like uh, before the the before the 18th century you know there's all these like weird official kind of name lists so yeah um, which sometimes those drop on but yeah it's good to like those those have some really interesting names or and, then, um, and you get kind of the style of name, right, too. And that yeah. just made me think of uh, Google Translate and stuff like that also yes. can be oh, really yeah. I cool. I also use Google Translate. Because yeah. we were playing that game <laughs> where sure. um, basically everything kind of had a Swahili vibe to it. And so yeah. the names of things, I would put English words in and I'd get the Swahili out. And then I'd tweak it. You know, I'd like drop the ending and add a different ending. But it just, it just yeah. morphed into it had such character. Um, it, it was still consistent within the theme, but it didn't. It felt like it had some character to it, other than just you know just ra- the normal the normal yeah. stuff that you'd run into. So that's also something I just thought of would be to, to not no, forget I, about. I, yeah, that's a really good point because I've done that too, and like you said, it, it creates because I you, you tweak a little bit, but it, you still have those like where it seems like a language because there's the common sounds or whatever that, mm. that keep repeating themselves. Um, but then you make it different enough where like, yeah, yeah that's a really good um, resource for that. Yeah. Our, our Faye touched game could have been sponsored by um, top hundred Gaelic baby names. It might as well have been. <laughs> yeah. And then didn't we, but then, yeah. I remember we use a lot of Gaelic names and then, but then didn't we also like, we used French as Sylvan. Wasn't that the, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I remember we had some, like we had French stuff too. Uh, okay, very and, cool. And, uh, and, we and, and I always use German as halfling, so that's just what I do. So <laughs> okay, <laughs> weird, weird mix there, but okay. Um, all right, let's talk about um, what are your kind of essentials for like you, you think of specifically as online, um, Carl. Uh, well, there's there's oh, a let's talk, like, let's talk about uh, tokens, I guess first. Let's talk about tokens. Well, so so that's a big thing on online, online tokens, right? Is being able tokens are so essential to online play, right? We're going to pull a map oh, yes. out. We're going to throw tokens on, and I mean, and then the number one is you know the token stamp that you find on RollAdvantage.com. You use that all the time, um, but I create, I almost always create my own tokens from 
public domain images or, yeah. you know, and, and since we're playing a personal game, you can steal them off the internet and nobody cares. Um, at least my personal games, um, if I'm doing something for a convention, then I'm much more careful about copyright. Um, but I don't, I don't have a lot of, uh, you know, like things that I subscribe to that have tokens or yeah. things like that. I, I tend to roll on my own. I, I'm starting to think I'm cheap or something. I, I don't know. Maybe I just don't. No, that is totally <laughs> normal. I mean, most people, I think, create their own tokens. For me, and, you know, I play more games, but I GM games too, so I have a lot of different resources that I use. I mean, I like personally, I like Token Stamp 2 better than Token Maker. I just find it easier, and it's just web-based. Um and I usually, I, I mean, I mainly use Pinterest. I think Pinterest is the best. We're talking about just like free, uh, you know, you're not doing for copyright. Pinterest has the best assortment of art, um, you know, outside of now the, the, AI, the AI generators. But as far as like people make art, Pinterest is just the easiest one. And you can, you, you, you type in kind of your weird character that you want to find. And then you click on pictures that you like. and It'll show you more pictures. It's better than Google. It, it's by far the best way to find pictures. Um, also... Uh, you know, if you're if you are looking for things that are copyright free, I mean things that we um, RPG. Uh, what is it called? Um, what's the main website that has like uh, RPG drive through RPG drive through RPG has <coughs> excuse me has a lot of like token sets that you can get, and a lot of those will have pretty either they're completely you can use them fair use like just completely, or they have like pretty good ones where you know uh, as long as you bought it, it's fine. So those is a really good resource for copyrighted ones. The, the other one that you can use actually that I think a lot of people are doing now is Hero Forge, which is oh, yeah. also yeah. for yeah. Uh, for uh, real life where you can make tokens. But their, their like picture maker was robust enough that they started introducing where like um, even if you're free, if you're pro, you get better token stuff from it. But when you create your character, you can do like you can just export like a really awesome token with like a really cool token border. They have all these cool token borders now. And I think pro is pretty cheap. So that's actually a really good way. You know, whether you like the art or not, I think is um, up to you. I think the better thing with that is if everybody is using that as far as their character tokens. For me, I hate when it's like, some person has used like an anime-like token and another person has used like a more realistic one and somebody's used like a picture from a movie. I hate when like everybody has like a completely different style because it just doesn't gel. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think with Token Maker, you really have to have everybody using it, but um, those are my main resource, resources as far as uh, tokens. James, do you have any ones that you love? I yeah and no, I can look I'm 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 going to be coming at all of this from a very different angle in yeah. that I run these things professionally so I need to have commercial rights to be able to use them and yeah. so I pay a lot of money uh, for virtual maps virtual tokens and all sorts of things I do use Hero Forge for player character tokens so yeah. I get them to design their character and that way there's another little sense of uh, their own involvement and I have a a pro subscription to Hero Forge, so you can convert it into a very good top-down token. And then I am a Patreon of a number of different token makers. I just before this session, I thought I'll just check to see how many tokens I've got in my <laughs> token folder. I have forty-three thousand tokens oh my currently God. sitting in my token folder. Wow! Um, some big ones that I love using, um, and I'm going to name drop a few here. Check them out um, if you're if you're into these kinds of things. Um, most of these patrons will um, allow access to a full back catalogue, so you can kind of become a patron of, of one of these creators and grab a, literally thousands of tokens. Um, my my four top ones are Splattered Ink. Oh, yeah. I think amazing, amazing. artwork. 
yeah. really, really good. And um, they've just come out with a Kickstarter for... Uh, little plastic versions of these for live games as well. Oh, but they cool. look absolutely incredible. Forgotten Adventures I'm a big fan of because their catalogue is massive. They've got pretty much every 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons creature you could ever think of. And they also run maps. So you can run their maps and their tokens to give a really good, seamless kind of visual palette to your games. Jan Luz is a really creative artist and does a really um, diverse amount and has been operating in the space for years. So was a, a big token guy in the early days of Roll20 and is now um, has up, up uh, his art um, considerably and is, has just got a really wonderful European kind of style to the artwork. And the last one is David North that I use a lot. If you're using a, an official 5th edition game, David North does the full every NPC in the book kind of tokens. So you can grab, you know, you can grab a whole module worth of tokens in one hit and you'll have every monster, every NPC ready to go, ready to plonk into your game. Um, all of those four of those guys do offer uh, commercial licensing. So um, for me and for anyone that's doing a stream game, or anyone who's running a paid DM, anyone who's doing a convention game, you can get a commercial license and kind of just operate as you need to. And, and to be fair, they're pretty damn reasonable. You know, like a commercial license for all four of those costs me less than 20 bucks a year. So it's not like a ridiculous amount of money, but it's just an extra added bonus that I think pay your creators. And um, I'm using these assets all the time. So there's my four token makers. Awesome. Thanks. Awesome. Uh, let's move on to the next big thing in maps. <laughs> James, what are your uh, maps that you love? Oh, here we go again. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's, let's name drop a whole heap of Patreons. Um, I mentioned Forgotten Adventures is my go-to map kind of theme. I, I like them. Um, they have, since probably the last six months, come out with a new Patreon called FA Battle Maps, where they do generic fantasy battle maps with wonderful extra overlays which i'm really enjoying at the moment so they might do a battle map of a fort where they have overlays of different secret doors they might have an overlay where half the fort's burnt down they might have an overlay where there is no fort it's just a clearing um so uh for online games i'm using a lot of their material i also use a program called dungeon draft to create my own maps and Dungeon Draft, there's, there's two really big players in this space, Dungeon Draft and Incarnate. Um, and they are an investment in that, you know, you, you pay, you buy one, and then you buy assets for that one. And so in some ways, I'm, I'm a little regretful. I kind of like Incarnate now, but that might be I was going to bring, I was, I was going to talk <coughs> about Incarnate, but yeah. Because I'm, but because I'm, I'm up to my eyeballs in dungeon draft assets i'm kind of i'm not making this the switch now and some of these creators that i've talked about um tom Cartos, Fan, uh, forgotten adventures create map and asset packs for dungeon draft so you can okay. kind of create dungeon draft maps that look exactly like the official forgotten adventure ones which i love because it keeps my my visual consistent um but there are a lot of outstanding Patreons out there for fantasy battle maps, particularly, and also um, modern ones, and also uh, period ones for Call of Cthulhu. Again, there are some excellent map makers for specific modules. So um, there are some creators: DM Andy, Morvold Press, Mythos Maps, and Tick Maps. Uh, four creators that, if you are doing a specific 
adventure for fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons in particular, and you want really beautiful maps that reflect the official content, um, I thoroughly recommend DM Andy and Morvold Press in particular. So if you're running Rhyme of the Frostmaiden or Curse of Strahd or any of the big ticket item um, campaigns, check out those guys because they do absolutely stunningly gorgeous maps. Um, yeah, but again, I'm a professional dungeon master, so uh, all these guys offer commercial uh, ability for me to be able to stream and run games commercially. So um, I'm, I'm certainly in a more expensive rabbit hole than most people, for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I, I was going to talk about Incarnate because that's the one, I mean, mainly use it for uh, world map type things. Yep. And they've only gotten better and better. Like, I was using it way back in the day when it was just starting out. Um, now I pay for the pro subscription, and it's just so good now. And it, you make, I mean, you know, there's a little bit of a learning curve as far as the world map um, type things go. And also, I think just making world maps in general, like we could have a whole thing about that. I mean, you, it's good to learn about how, you know, geography actually works <laughs> to make good maps uh, because that's the way our mind works. And even with fantasy games, but but regardless, um, uh, it's it's so robust and it's mostly free. Like, you know, you can use the free version. Even the pro version is pretty cheap. You don't have to buy assets like they just give you so much and you just have access to all of it. Um, and then you can upload your own ones, which I really like. You can upload your own like whether mountains or whatever symbols, anything you want, you can just upload. Um, and now they have like a pretty, now it's mostly fantasy only, but now they have a pretty robust uh, like combat map maker, which is kind of yeah. new. Um, and it's pretty extensive and really and cool to beautiful. just drag and drop. It's got and, a lovely style. Yeah, it's, it's really so beautiful. And now I I've, have used, now I use Incarnate for, you know, for a lot of other things. I use it for my Fallout game. I've used it for other modern games. Um, so you, you don't have, to, it doesn't have to be fantasy. Uh, you can really, you can play with it enough. So that's my big favorite. And then of course I talked about before on, I think it was last, either last episode or two episodes ago for cool stuff. My favorite, I don't have a lot of, um, uh, Patreons that I use, but, um, uh, uh, I just forgot his name now. Um, <laughs> uh, what's his name? I just talked about him. Um, uh, cyberpunk and fantasy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I'll go back. I'll get back to it. Go, uh, go back and Carl, watch yeah, the previous or listen to the previous episodes to yeah, get that information. The one, cause, that's, Cause that guy has the, he, he has the, um, uh, I'll just log on to Patreon right now. He has like the coolest, uh, the, probably the coolest motion maps that I've ever seen. And it started with cyberpunk and post-apocalypse, um, solution maps and now fantasy maps, that's what it's called. Yeah. Um, if you just go, they're separate patrons, but it's the same guy. And now, so now he has the whole fantasy section and now he has the, um, so he's my favorite patron by far. Carl, what, what about you? Um, well, for my convention games and things like that, where it's out, I, I tend to do them all myself, um, from scratch without, uh, I don't have dungeon draft or anything. I, I tend to use good old fashioned things like GIMP with assets and resources and um, Mac-specific applications and stuff like that. I've even used um, PowerPoint once to make a <laughs> map of a mall that, uh, you know, oh, so that you could have the layout of the mall. No, yeah. Disgusting. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it worked. And, and it had that. I know. You're a PowerPoint wizard. I know that already. So, <laughs> but yeah. it, had, it had that feel of 
the board you'd look at at a mall when you go into a mall and you look at the the oh, board yeah, and you yeah, say, yeah, yeah. "Oh, that's, that's cool. where all these stores are." It it just yeah, allowed for here. that look. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, that was the oh, goal awesome. of that map was yeah. to to have that. Um, but of course, I you know for my personal games, our battle maps yeah, is online. you know you know, and a lot of the tools you guys are talking about are just fantastic. But that's kind of me. So let's uh, keep moving. So I, I don't have a lot to offer there. <laughs> All right, uh, yeah, we're still on the online section for music. Um, I think, James, you've talked about this a lot, um, right? Yeah, we, I'm, we did I'm a, a cool big stuff fan of it. I, I, th- I think it was, yeah, one of, I think the first cool stuff found we ever did was on Sirenscape. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sirenscape, amazing. Uh, I'm going to give a plug. They're an Australian company. Uh, I've met the guys. Ben and the team are just outstanding individuals. Give them all your money. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Uh, Sirenscape <laughs> is an online streaming tool that allows you to, as a storyteller, to press a button and all your players will hear the same uh, the same sounds. Uh, there's a couple of new ways to do it. They've now got a, a web-based um, version of it, which means that you don't even need to install a program. And again, if you're a master Sirenscape subscriber, you can get access to their official content. So again, and I, I hark on this a lot, but for those that really want all the bells and whistles for their fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons game, but also Savage Worlds, they, they support. They also support Cyberpunk Red. They also support Call of Cthulhu. Um, you can get their official modules, Soundscapes, which um, I'm running Masks of Nyarlathotep, the massive world-spanning Call of Cthulhu game. And just to have all the soundtracks for all the scenes for seven different countries is extraordinary. Like, uh, I want a Peruvian market. Now I want downtown Shanghai. Now I want a New York cemetery. And they've got all the soundtracks for it, and they, they're just beautiful, and they're really amazing. So um, I know other people use YouTube and and they use yeah. Spotify and bits and pieces, but for me, um, uh, Sirenscape's just amazing. I, I love using it. I, yeah, I mean, Sirenscape has all the sound effects and... Um, there used to be other ways to do it. It's so hard now because a lot of the tools aren't there to integrate. Like your, own, and it just takes so much time when you're uploading your own music or your own sound effects. Um, but like sometimes there's mods for Foundry that have just like sound effect packs that you can actually get for free. And a lot of times when you download uh, map packs on Foundry, that within the directory there'll be like the sound effects that you, like for the maps or there'll be stuff like that you can kind of steal. But otherwise, yeah. Um, it's pretty much, yeah, for Discord, it's like there's a lot of bots. I mean, I'm sure most people know. Um, I like the ones the best that use YouTube because there's a lot of good like YouTube mixes that you can use. I think Fredboat is the one that I've seen used the most. Um, but as a player, I mean, I was saying this to you guys before. As a player, I often, if a GM is not providing their own music, I just, I use Spotify and I make my own. I just be like, okay, I'm going to find a good you know playlist basically of whatever genre I'm going for. And that helps me. Carl, do you have any specific music ones that? Uh, I don't do a lot of music. Um, I'm one of the folks where you're listening to your own playlist. Yeah, I use, yeah. <laughs> I use sci-fi playlists right now. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I don't do a lot. And if I do have sound effects, um, there's a lot of um, uh, royalty-free public domain sound sources out there. Um, and I participate in them, so I, I offer my sound effects that I've come up with um, through my days yeah. to them, and then awesome. I, I take advantage of theirs. Um, so, and as a music producer, as somebody who creates music, the, the Sirenscape, the fact that they have so much content, it just, it really does blow my mind. It really does, but. Uh, <laughs> and it's and it's that it's like so easy to then implement. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing because I've had like tons of sound effects and tons of music, but it's just so hard to like, you know, when you're doing your prep of like, okay, getting that all, 
loaded up correctly and using whatever program you're using. So I think that's the best part for me is just how easy it is, right, to put together custom soundtracks and custom scenes and everything. It's it's really interesting too. I was talking to my group about this on Saturday. I ran my masks game on Saturday, and I find this has probably changed the way that I've I run games now. The the use of music and the use of of ambient sound, yeah, really changes the pace in which I run a game. I think uh, you know having a little bit of extra volume in the background, a little bit of extra noise, so that my voice doesn't have to fill the entire room. Yeah, can change the way in which I actually describe and run and storytell, um, and and I and I just had a, a moment where the soundtrack, you know, conked out on me. You know, my mobile ran out of charge. Just having to run out of charge, and everything went quiet. And the difference in the way I presented my game was quite significant. So, in in some ways, once you start, once you start GMing with a soundtrack, I think it actually changes the way you do it. I, I quite love it. I think oh, it's. it's a, I mean, a when really you think about addition. it, right? Like music is so power. Like how it affects our brain and how it affects our mood is so powerful. And like, like you think about like TV shows and movies. Like, can you ever imagine those without music? Like, it would be. And sometimes, like, you don't think about the music that's playing, but like, if music's not there, you notice it, right? So I think music is an extremely powerful tool when used in games. Um, when it's when it's when it's used correctly, the right type of music set to the scene can completely immerse players like way more than if you're not using it. It's it's it Very is much. just such a powerful um, that kind of works subconsciously, you know, um, v- v- almost like reptilian brain. Because, uh, anyways, so yeah, I, I think music is extremely powerful, and so are sound effects. Right, the same thing with like movies. Like they're so under or TV shows, they're so undervalued or so underappreciated by audiences. Sound design, I did that in college a lot. Um, but when it's not there, when it's done badly, you really notice it. And when it's done yeah. really well, like it is extremely powerful, but just, yeah. So I a hundred percent agree, James. Um, yeah. So as far as online, I think uh, there's something here called images. I don't know if we've already, do you want to talk about that at all? I think we already kind of talked about that, but James, any, I've, either of you I've just any, got one little yeah. extra hint, I, which I thought it's a great little resource. I think that they're worthy of a plug. Um, I run all of my online games over zoom. And so what I find is there's a great resource called James RPG. And I know it's it's kind of the thing. Uh-huh. Um, but, but James RPG is not me. It's okay. another actual okay. good artist. And um, a James RPG specializes in animated backgrounds. Um, and so uh, you can get the official... Fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons is animated background. So if you want to know what Cragmore Castle looks like with birds flying over the top of it, you can kind of do it. And so I, in my games, I always make sure that Castle Strad is Castle Ravenloft is there as my animated background. So check him out. He does great gifs um, and great MP4s and static images as well. But just another little thing that I, I add as well, just to add to the extra level of subscriptions that i support to run all this stuff but um yeah james rpg animated images check them out they're really good all right carl anything here no i think uh let's let's keep her going let's keep her going Uh, i have a vtt section here um i thought i think we've already (laughs) talked about that anybody else have any thoughts about vtts um well here we go the only thing is i use two so you know i know people you know they get very hung up on whether they're a Foundry VTT person or a Roll20 or a Fantasy Grounds. I use two because Roll20 works better for convention games, online convention games, in my opinion. Yeah. 
because it's it's got easier setup. And then Foundry is better for my home game because there's so many modules that I can plug in. So don't be afraid to to leverage Try more than one ones. tool, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then also I think the thing with BTTs also is um, there's better ones for different games. Some, some are stronger for some games, some are not mm. as strong for some games. Um, and then I also think some are stronger for game masters and some are stronger for players. Yeah, I think, James, you have something to say about this. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I've found myself in a weird situation. I actually use the, I use Fantasy Grounds, which is probably not the most popular, which could actually impact the amount of games that I end up running, but um, only because of the automation that, that it allows you to do. And if yeah. you're running a fifth edition Dungeons & Dragons game with children that don't know the nuts and bolts of how to play, and having a single button that manages the whole thing about concentration spells, then it absolutely is a winner. Um, the UI is, I'm not going to lie, is fucking awful. And yeah, I hope they bad. fix it. Um, but uh, but Fantasy Grounds for me is probably the most robust system as well. It's not web-based. So um, it means that, uh, you know, in terms of its stability, it's fantastic. But... Again, I'm doing things very differently to you guys. I can see why most players well, would okay. use Roll20 It also depends, right? Like I said, uh, like if you're doing Pathfinder 2nd Edition, if you're not using Foundry, you're insane. Like that's just like Foundry has Pathfinder 2e unlock for a lot of the yeah. same reasons you said. But then other times, like for Savage Worlds, the, the, the module isn't that great. Um, and Roll20 is often easier to use, like Carl was saying. So it really does depend on what you're doing. Yeah, let's move on from BTTs because that's not that's more that's a separate episode almost. Um, yeah, yeah I think here let's talk a little bit about conventions and in person. I kind of feel like those are the same, but we'll sure. talk about convention first. No, no, sure. I think uh, we probably Carl, can mix them a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so for Carl, well, let's. I mean, let's talk under the convention part. Let's talk about specifically versus a home game. What are your tools for convention? Then we'll move on to home games because sure. I, I think there's. Because we, there is some overlap, but I think there's some right. There are some specific things, Carl, that you would only do for conventions that you wouldn't do for a home game, an in-person home game, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the the one thing is uh, for convention games, theme, 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 um, and props, props, props. Right? For essential yeah, to yeah. to a convention game is to for me again. I play Savage Worlds, and so yeah. I have custom bennies that are themed for um, the game. Um, you know, the the traditional poker chips, throw that out the window. Like, for example, I had a Dragonlance game, and my bennies were all little dragon figures. So everybody okay. used that as the bennies. And then I have theme decks. So I have a fantasy deck or a space theme deck for my initiative cards. And then even theme dice, if I can do them. So that I, as the game master, rolling out in front of the players... If I'm doing a game that's kind of uh, uh, modern military, I have a set of dice that are camouflaged. Um, they have okay. the camel feel, and I roll those so that because I roll in front of the players, I always roll out in open. Um, so even if I have a screen, I don't tend to use it that much, other than kind of keep the notes behind it. But I always roll out in the open, so it's really fun to have themes and then of course props right um you know i'll bring even though i do mostly theater to mind and i don't do play maps i will bring a big map that shows like for one of my games you're in a colony and so i have a map that's you know maybe three by four that shows the entire colony but i'll never once put a miniature on it 
It's just so players can lean yep. over it and get into it and you know say, hey, I'm moving here in this corridor and then I'm moving here. It's like, great. Yeah. And then the rest is theater of the mind. Um, so, yeah, definitely. So, let's, let's, so, yeah, let me let me talk. So is the reason why you think more so than a home game, why themed objects, themed things are important? Is that because it's like you have such a short amount of time at a convention to kind of immerse the person into it? That that's why that's more important. Is that what you're? Is that what you're? Well, I, I think pretty much. I think part of it is when you go to the convention, you're going for an experience, and so okay. as a game master, I want to bring a fun, interesting experience and um, having things that they it's don't catching. Yeah, and... they don't necessarily have at home, right? They're you know, it's it's uh-huh. fun, right? Okay. It's you know, it's, it's getting thrown a dragon thrown at you for a Benny is a lot more fun than a poker chip. And maybe that at home, you get poker chips thrown at you. But it's just different. It's okay. fun. It just kind of the makes theme it... park, the theme park vibe of like, Yeah, yeah. And, and plus you're in a room with okay. tw- 100 other people. You know, make your table a little more special, a little more um, we're a team, we're part of the same, same group because we all have something that others don't um, in the room. That's my opinion. James, right. I think you agree with this a lot, right? I think you Oh, totally. A lot. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's two overarching things for me at a convention. First one is portability in that I'm going to walk into that con with generally a kind of a satchel with everything that I need to run for the entire day. And the second one is exactly what Carl said. It's about theme and immersion and getting things, getting things running. I actually create a, a DM screen for each of my convention games which has key images facing away from me so that people can just get immersed in that, uh, run a fantastic um, uh, Call of Cthulhu game called the Crimson Carnival, which is about a horror circus. So I've got period pictures of 1920s freaks uh, on the outside of this DM screen so that people get that kind of look as soon as I set up. Um, and on the inside is, is all the key plot points on the DM screen. So it's quick and easy to set up and, and off you go. But, but handouts, I've got... You know, the tea stain documents are everywhere. Um, You know, you name it, it's all there. But it's all about uh, immersion and also portability. And backups. So one of the things I always bring, uh, and packability, yeah. One of the things I always bring with me is this tiny, it's not huge, maybe an 8-inch by 8-inch whiteboard, just a little whiteboard with some whiteboard markers so I can quickly make a quick map or I can quickly jot down an initiative order or something that something that you can just literally throw into a pocket of a satchel and off you go. Um, the other thing that I use if I'm running 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, and I don't do this much at conventions because I find that everyone does it, so I, I actually prefer running Cthulhu at conventions than I do D&D. But if I do run D&D, there's a great uh, group called uh, Printable Heroes, which do these kind of standees. They're two-dimensional miniatures yeah. that you can kind of quickly fold up and quickly put on the table. So I use those as well. But yeah, I've got I've got my little, it's like a laptop bag. If I can't fit everything I need in my laptop bag, then it, it doesn't go to a con. One thing I have been doing uh, and is I actually bring a little Bluetooth speaker because I still run Sirenscape at conventions because I love it. And it gets me it gets me immersed as much as the players. Okay. Uh, anything else on like tools essential for Carl for you? Uh, just backups. That's another essential. Backups, backups. Okay. Print oh, it. Yeah. Print it. USB, <laughs> CD. Um, another copy in the car. Always, always backups of everything. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. Now let's finally talk about like in person essentials. I mean, some of this will have some crossover. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as like, this is your normal, your campaign game, what are the most important kind of resources you use? And again, I think this will be a little overlap with our online versions, but 
Let's talk about uh, maps or templates, things like that. What do you use for maps? I mean, for me, it's just real quick. Um, there's, I mean, there's so many, like, you know, you can go out and buy ones. There's, of course, like drawing stuff on a grid, whatever, the, the dry erase thing. For me, the stuff that I've done is I like having modular assets. And you can buy really uh, expensive ones like Dungeon. Uh, what's the one called, James? Dungeon uh, Forge. Dungeon Forge, yeah. Which, um, yeah, which, of course, is amazing. But for yeah. me, the stuff that I've used is, um, I, like I said, I think I said this in another one before, is that uh, often board games, um, like I, I, I mean, I was a Kickstarter of Gloomhaven, and that has just a insane amount of different um, uh, t- map, maps and with like, the different environments and different like settings and mm. buildings and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of other board games have stuff like that too. When you do like, like adventure board games, um, just has a lot. So it's if you can find used board games, that those are huge resources for maps and for tokens. Like I'll just jump the gun here a little bit for tokens too. Um, it's for cheap. Uh, but the other thing that do, I've done for maps is you can find a lot of the, all the stuff we've talked about for maps online. Um, you can pretty easily uh, print those out on cardstock, and then you just buy a little bit of foam and you can just uh, glue them onto foam. Uh, yeah. And it's really, and I'm not a big, you know, I'm not a good artist, but it's really easy to do. And you can pretty much make them modular. You can just pl- print those out and do it in blocks and you just cut them. And it's just really easy to do. And then you just have a really lightweight kind of a huge, um, uh, huge like library of maps that you can pull out pretty easily. Um, so basically any maps that you find online, you can print um, and just put on a little bit of foam core. Um, so those are my main things as far as in person. Uh, Carl, you have something that you like to do in person? Well, I just wanted to, to play a little bit off of what you were saying. I, I take the approach. Yeah. So I use the white, the dry erase kind of yeah. map templates. But what I do is I'll print out the battle map, the cool battle map in a smaller mm-hmm. format. So, you know, eight and a half by 11, you know, 10 by 14. And then we'll draw the bigger map on the on the 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 um placemat that then that's where okay. the characters would go and the tokens would go or whatever um just because uh, i find it like you said the library it's easier to have a library of 10 and a half 8 and a half by 11 maps that you can pull out and then quick jot them down um it's not quite as immersive um but it, it works and then of course for me uh, making sure you have those templates that are available from the vendors, like for your blast templates or your cone templates or your status templates that you can put on the characters are yeah. always really, really useful when you're uh, when you don't have those online tools where you just click the button and magic yeah. happens. Um, so um, but yeah, I take a little different approach on on the maps. But again, a lot of my maps are, you don't, it's kind of theater of the mind. It's like the map is there for you yeah, to, you're them out. to feel it yeah. and understand it, but not necessarily that we're going to move our tokens around all the time, uh, you know, okay. for a tactical standpoint. Um, yeah, it's a little bit different. Thanks. When I do online, I do a lot more tactical stuff <laughs> because the maps are easy, easy to drop right? and the tokens yeah. are easy to drop. So I'm, I'm such a hopeless case when it comes to my home game. I am a massive miniature and tabletop terrain guy uh, <laughs> i i am a massive fan of a youtuber called black magic craft that makes oh, yeah. tabletop terrain one inch grid kind of tiles and i have 
a whole shed full of miniatures. Oh my god! Full of uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of painted and unpainted, more unpainted than painted miniatures. That is to my eternal shame. I run ninety nine point nine percent of my games online, and I still have a shed full of miniatures. So, so do you have a do you, do you do the three D? Sorry, I was just gonna say, do you have a mini for each one of your tokens? So you have forty three thousand minis. <laughs> uh, I'm not quite that bad, but I'm getting close. I'm not going to lie. I've backed some ridiculous, ridiculous uh, Kickstarters for miniature guys, and I do have two close friends that have 3D printers, and I do there you go. print an obscene amount of plastic um, that never get used, and I, I, I really need some help. <laughs> Is this a cry for help right now? Is this a cry for help? This is a cry for help. Uh, it's, it's affecting and, your and, marriage. Yeah. And and ironically, the the one big home game that that I involve all my miniatures and all my terrain in, I don't even dungeon master. A friend of mine does, and I play. And so he shoots me the list of all the minis that he needs for the next six months, and then I oh dutifully God. print them and paint them for him. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Now, do you so do the I, um, the 3D terrain where you, like, fold paper and stuff? Um, do you ever do that? No, or I, I do 3D PLA printed terrain. With, okay. I've got trees and mounted mountains, yeah. and I've got rocks and barrels and bars <laughs> and buildings and piers and everything. It's, um, it's a real problem that I actually do need help with. <laughs> <laughs> hey, send it my way. I'll help you. You just give it to me. Then, well, that 3D but, stuff but, is but it does, cool, it, the it does make for beautiful things. I started, yeah. but the beginning of my journey was Fat Dragon folded cardboard. <laughs> yeah. And I do have a few boxes of folded cardboard terrain, um, but then immediately got into actual miniatures. And, and yeah, during lockdown, I, I developed a real fetish for printing and painting. Uh, 3D printed stuff. Well, all right, including including resin and big battle boards, and I've got fo- <laughs> foam cutters, and I've got. Like you don't have to be embarrassed. We're we're all I've here got, for it. Yeah. I mean, I've it, got flock, it, and I've if got I did a re- if I did an in person game, I you know that's the stuff that I would like to have. So uh, uh, I have LED lights. <laughs> I have this small smoke machine. You may need to <laughs> you may need to rethink your uh, your minimalistic uh, convention and start doing like huge set pieces that you bring to a convention. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I, like I say, portability is the key. Portability is the key. But yeah, it, it's so funny. I. I laugh all the time. I like I've 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 got a full army of twelve different fire giants. Why you need twelve fire giants is beyond me, but I've got them. So if you're fighting you know. fire giants, I'd rather fight like you know different ones than just the same one over and over again. That's so, true. That's yeah. true. Friday's the spice of life. <laughs> the one the one other thing I did want to bring up, and this is kind of you know directly shouting out a specific company, but Pathfinder has a lot of good map products. Um, but one I particularly like that I recommend that any GM gets for in-person games is, you know, much like the just the basic white grid where you can just uh, draw in, which which is totally, you know, I use that too and, and I think works. They have these really cool flip maps, flip maps mm, yes, which are basically really large ones. Awesome. But yep. they're like, but instead of just being a white one, I mean, they have like a snow one and they have like a dirt one and they have like a brick one. So it's, you're still drawing in with the marker. It's still that like open kind of map. But it's just these really just have a couple of different environments on each side uh, that you can buy and pack. So you can still kind of like, you know, it's not completely just like a white, like it still kind of invokes the kind of terrain that you're in, but then you're still drawing in. So those are also the, I just have like, I have like a four pack or six, six of those with uh, you know, two different sides on each side um, or one on each side. Very cool. Uh, the the other cool, very low cost thing that I found is the, don't forget 
wrapping paper has a one-inch grid on the back of it. So you can always just use wrapping paper and just yep, sketch on that. That, that is but, something you can do. <laughs> <laughs> something that, can be something that I will never do because it doesn't involve thousands of dollars and buckets yeah, of flock and painting <laughs> and right. hours and hours of shame of paint, meticulously um, painting small men yeah. yeah going on to figures I mean I think we pretty much talked about it oh, yeah. uh, like I said the other thing with board games I do it another another I'm just calling it out again because Paizo makes really good products they have um, these ones that they call um, Pathfinder Pawns and they're basically yeah. there's like I don't even know how many boxes there are now but they're the, you can get these um, – it's obviously for fantasy, but you get this, like, box, um, and it's different kind of themes, and they're just standees, but there's, like, hundreds of them. And there's such a big variety, and it's so easy to pull them out. It's basically the best value, and the art is really good, and you buy, like, a couple boxes, and you're just pretty much set. So if you're not into – if you're not a crazy person with an addiction like James, um, <laughs> uh, you can pretty much have a huge library that takes up a fraction of the space – and a fraction of the money, um, and have really cool art. So I think standees, whether you use the Pathfinder pawn boxes or other ones, I think standees are really the way to go um, because and, you can just I, have so many more of them. Yeah. And I'll repeat my shout out to um, Splattered Ink. Do their two dimensional um, oh, yeah. icons, and they are I've just gotta check that so, out. Yeah, check that one out. And they've got a backer at the moment, so um, go and find yeah, it. So. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, any other tokens? Um, I do have maybe a few thousand Reaper miniatures if anyone wants to contact me in the... <laughs> Watch for the new Master RPG shop uh, and <laughs> we'll feature a bunch of custom tokens that you can buy. Uh, look out if anyone that. needs 12 fire giants for their campaign, I've got them. <laughs> hey, maybe we'll do a contest. There, you know, um, Carl, do you have any resources that you like to use for tokens beyond what we've already been talking about? Um, no, I, I think... It's really the standees, um, like even uh, yeah. Pinnacle, they have their own figure flats and everybody does it. And so it's really useful um, for sure. And then finally, I'm going to say the cheap way again, the kind of like very, very cheap way you can do these things is you can get these little like wooden discs at craft stores. They're just like really cheap mm. little wooden discs. And then again, you can just print out character art. Um, and basically just like, you know, uh, some sticky glue or whatever, and just put those right on there. And that's the really, really cheap way to get a lot of tokens without breaking your bank. I mean, it's, you're, you're pretty much just paying for the, the, the wood little dowels or whatever, the little, little wood discs, little discs. Um, that you yep. can get like at the dollar store, or you can get a craft store. It's really cheap. So if you're looking to do it cheap, that's what I would recommend is that you get those and you just cut out the, the pick the portraits and then just kind of use, um, what's it called? Like a glue stick, you know, right. put it right on yep. there. Right, right. Um. Yeah. Uh, anything else you guys want to talk about in person? I mean, I know for me, the one other essential for me, again, it depends on the game you're playing, right? Savage Worlds has an, an excellent initiative system that I recommend that even people who play D&D use. I think using a deck of cards and I and I like diff, I like uh, differing a uh, turn by turn initiative better anyways than static initiative. Um, but um, for me, if I am doing D&D, it's the um, magnet board um, again. I think Paizo, I, I have their one is, is essential for me. Where it's a it's a it's a magnetic board, and there's little um, little magnets with like where you can write in the character names and, and NPC names, and then that's you just set it up really quickly on this like magnetic board, and that's almost completely essential for me. Um, I don't know mm -hmm. what you guys use the, as far as one of the tricks I, mean, I use for initiative yeah. in particular is yeah. I grab folded paper. So on the front will be the image of the of the the miniature that I'm using or the character portrait of, of who we're using. And on the back of that 
pet piece of paper is there. Initiative order, hit points, armor class, sub, their basic uh, attack. Okay. And, and as I drape it over the top of the DM screen, what's facing me is everyone's hit points, everyone's armor class, everyone. And what's facing the, the players is the portraits. So they can see initiative order. They can see who's coming up next. And I've got a bit more information that's showing to me. So that's something that I do huh. produce for almost all of my in-person games. I, I, just, I just force everybody to go sit in initiative order. It's like, oh, everybody move. <laughs> move now. Sit where you're supposed to. You're not supposed to do that? That's the wrong way of doing it? Oh, okay. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, Call of, Call of Cthulhu is amazing because initiative order is based on your dexterity score, so there's no randomness. So ah, you do okay. sit them in dex order, and you know that that's which order they're going to go in, nice. um, which, which, yeah, makes for simpler initiative. I think there's a whole episode in how to how to mess with initiative, isn't there? Oh, my God. So many yeah, people have talked probably. about fixing initiative or changing initiative. Yeah, right. So Yeah. So any other um, in-person, like, essentials? No, I think we hit it. Okay. Um, and then I guess last but least is just, you know, general resources, I think. Uh, any call-outs? You want to do to tie this up uh my last one and i look again please reach out mike shane sponsor us but uh <laughs> the lazy dungeon master is the one for me um i run all of my games in the lazy dms way that he runs three fantastic books the the guide to a lazy dungeon master the dms lazy dms companion and the lazy dms workbook and i could not run this many campaigns well without them I think they are absolutely essential for everything that I run. Um, it, it, whether it's a convention game or if it's the, my ongoing games or anything like that, um, check him out. It's just a really good way to order your brain when it's coming to running these games. <laughs> my, my most important, the absolute most important resource that you possibly could have if you're a Savage Worlds player uh -huh. is, is this little YouTube channel called Tabletop Tango. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tabletoptango.com. Sure. Oh, hell yeah. They got a couple of good hosts on it. I, I love that one guy. So, <laughs> yeah, I, the I, other guy I'm not so Chicago. sure about, but one yeah, guy's great. <laughs> one of them is solid for sure. Yeah, we're not going to tell you who, but you'll figure it out when you listen. So, <laughs> for those who don't know, which should be obvious, it's our it's our channel. So it's uh, yeah, Eric and my channel. So, um, yeah. So that uh, there's a lot of YouTube folks like Great GM, DM Lair. There's so many people who also offer advice. Um, sometimes it's a little long-winded, so you have to pick and choose. Um, and there's only so many top five build-outs for your fighter that you can watch and enjoy. But uh, um, there's a lot of good resources there, too. Yeah, I mean, I think generally, like, as far as just for players and for GMs, I think especially if it's a new game, you know, there's so many stream games now that it definitely, and like, you don't have to watch the whole thing, but I think there's a benefit into watching um, a streamed game just to kind of see, you know, uh, how people run it or how people play it. I think that's my only, my last kind of tip as far as online resources is. All right. Um, Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. So what do you think, guys? We hit that? We nail it? Yeah. I bet James could talk the, for another the, hour about all of his... Paid All the product products you, you need in an yeah. hour is really there for sure. <laughs> right. Well, hey, uh, thanks everyone for tuning in and hopefully you got something out of it. Remember to drop by MasteringTheRPG.com to learn about us and our projects um, and how you can support us and how you can contact us and all that good stuff. Please email GameMaster at MasteringTheRPG.com if you have questions, need some advice, 
uh, want some questions adjudicated, we're all about that and help out. Um, you can catch us on Twitter at MasteringDRPG. And now we have an Instagram, which is a Savage Worlds GM, um, just so that I keep the name straight uh, as far as my normal IDs go. Um, so, hey, we uh, want to ask you to give us a positive review on any podcaster of your choice, and we'd love to keep doing the show. So, once again, I'm Carl with Eric and James. Say goodbye, guys. Bye, guys. Happy game. <laughs> <laughs>